So our uh, scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23, and it's on page 957 of your pew Bible if you want to follow along, or you may have some other uh, version, but I encourage you to uh, keep it before you as we go through it. The Apostle Paul, in the letter to the church in Corinth, says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, my name's Samuel, or Sammy, or Sam, or I answer a lot of other things. Uh, but um, I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, I have to say this every time that I get to speak and Les is in the room, I have to thank him. I would not be married to my beautiful wife without his help. Uh, so my kids, thank you too. And uh, it's always a privilege uh, to be with Les. Les has preached the gospel to me countless times uh, and to the people that I love the most. He's, he's invested in my friends over the years. And so um, I told the first service, I'll tell this one. This guy is not a perfect guy, but he's a faithful guy who's pointed me to Jesus, and I'm grateful for him and his friendship, and I hope you're grateful for him too. Um, this morning, I was asked to give a quick update on what we're doing in Memphis. Um, before I jump into the sermon, I'd love to do that. Um, so we took a call to church plant, and as I think about Memphis, Tennessee, and I think about um, our calling there, many of you will know the work of Brene Brown. She um, has done a lot of work on um, shame and research around vulnerability. Uh, she has this great quote. It says, uh, what is in the way becomes the way. What is in the way becomes the way. So I wonder if you've heard that before, if you thought about it. Uh, you often think about, okay, what's in the way? What's, what's keeping me from something good and beautiful? And we know sin, right? That's the Sunday school answer. Uh, but as I think about the deepest scars and wounds in Memphis, Tennessee, I think about racism and poverty. Uh, how is it that Memphis can be one of the most charitable cities of the top 50 cities in the U.S. and be still number one in childhood poverty? Um, there's a lot going on there. Systems are broken. People are broken. I'm broken. Uh, so in one sense, we're all poor. We have a poverty of spirit between us and God, a poverty to know myself, a poverty to know my neighbor, and even a poverty in which, like, the way I treat creation. And so I need the Colossians 1 Jesus to reconcile me and everything else to himself. The Colossians 1 Jesus is the only one big enough to reconcile us to God, to ourselves, to one another, and to, then to all of creation. And so as I think about Memphis, I think about racism and poverty, and I think about what it would look like for the kingdom of God to advance in those areas. And so my background sports, I grew up uh, playing ball, and um, I had teammates that didn't look like me, and I learned a lot from that experience, and I'm grateful for it. And so uh, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is trying to figure out how to move intentionally uh, towards my African-American brothers and sisters in Christ. I am not God's gift to figure out. I, I can't fix racism. I can't fix poverty. Like, that's not... Okay, but part of me following Jesus, I believe, is going with the gospel to those areas, to those things, confronting them in my own heart, in my own life, and then in the life of the neighborhoods uh, that, that we serve. And so um, all that led me to teaching a Bible study uh, in a historical black neighborhood called Klondike 
at a charter school called Perea, Perea Elementary. When you think of Perea, you need to think of the place where Jesus said, let the little children come. Welcome the little children to come unto me. That's the name of our school, Perea Elementary. And so I've taught, uh, this last year I taught first grade as an assistant teacher. And so I, I tied about a thousand shoes and um, taught them how to read a little bit here and there and opened up a ton of sippy cups. Um, and I got to teach them about being made in the image of God and how they were precious to him. And, um, and so all of that actually came about through this Bible study and getting invited through that Bible study to the parents after they dropped their kids off. I got invited to a, a neighborhood council meeting where the neighborhood itself described or defined its major concerns. And its major concerns were safety, housing, education, and transportation. And so just as a neighbor, as somebody who lives two lights from the school, uh, I said, uh, well, those are my major concerns as well. And so we're seeking to follow Jesus into this area and be a bridge. Uh, you think about things that don't belong together, and you think of a bridge or whatever. I think of a holy God and a sinner like me. They don't belong together. But what if Jesus says they do, right? Or you think about rich and poor. They don't belong together. What if Jesus says, yeah, they do? What about black and white and everything in between? Yeah. What if, what if this whole thing is headed toward Revelation 7, every tribe, tongue, nation, and race worshiping Jesus? Um, what if that's the party that we're invited to? Um, and so when I think about the kingdom of God, I think about a table, and it's not me serving all the poor people at, at a soup kitchen. It's a potluck. It's a potluck where every individual brings the gifts that God has given them, and we feast and we celebrate together. So would you pray for the potluck uh, in Klondike and beyond in Memphis and pray for Sarah Tyson and I and our kids, Sam and Luke, uh, that God would be faithful. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, I could teach and talk all day about it, but I'll stop there because I got, I got to get into this passage and why I picked this passage. But like, I, just, I want you to know, Les has invested uh, some time and energy in, in helping me think through some of this and praying for me and so, so many others. And so uh, the best thing you can do for us, honestly, is to pray for us. He loves me best. He loves me in his prayers. And so please uh, pray for us. I'm going to pray one more time, and we're going to dive into our, our text. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we're so grateful uh, for your love that you... Uh, would be moved with compassion <laughs> so that you might be moved to action, to mercy and service on our behalf, to do things we couldn't do for ourselves. Uh, so, Lord, we're grateful uh, for your work, and we pray now that by your Spirit you would be our teacher, that you would exalt yourself, that you would work on our hearts uh, and, and shape us more and more after your image. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I wonder um, how many of my friends this morning have a driver's license. Anybody? Who's got a driver's license? So I see a few. All right. Um, how many of you think of yourselves as a pretty decent driver? I mean, pretty responsible, good driver. Anybody? A few less hands went up. Okay, wow. Um, so I wonder what the percentage is. If you had to ask right now, I mean, if you had to answer right now, what, what percentage of uh, drivers out there are really good, responsible drivers, right? Um, so I saw, I don't know, probably 70% of hands go up. Uh, of folks that could drive, and then I, I saw a few less hands go up, and if I were given that number, I would say it's a lot smaller. Um, <laughs> and sometimes we think of ourselves way too highly, let's just be honest, if you're like me at least. I think I'm pretty good at everything. It's not true. Uh, but when it comes to driving, I want you to know, I learned to drive in Tunica, Mississippi, when there's one stoplight, right? It's a little different now, because uh, the casinos and all that jazz, but when I, when I learned how to drive, uh, one stoplight. Now I drive in Memphis every day, and you got to keep your head on a swivel in Memphis. And y'all know what I'm talking about if you've driven in, in Memphis. You can't drive in Tunica like you drive in Memphis. not going to work. But I've also driven in New York City. 
And uh, their signals are not acceptable to give in church. <laughs> um, it's a different ball game when you're driving in New York City, okay? And then finally, I've, I've actually been in a car in Mexico City where lanes are a mere suggestion. Like, I, you know, whatever rules of the road uh, you learned and had to sign off on before you got your driver's license, I think it's just a free-for-all in some places, right? Um, but that, that's interesting, isn't it? That um, you had to pass a test. You had to know the rules of the road to get your license. Uh, and yet, depending on your place and time, uh, where you are and the further of the cultures that you cross, what is acceptable, that's what we'll just call a rule, uh, what's acceptable way to drive is completely different, right? So I want to suggest to you this morning that uh, when we talk about following Jesus, there's sometimes that the rules uh, or what's acceptable, um, it can change, right? Now, just having said that, I know some of you are probably squirming. Let, let me just tell you, I'm a PCA pastor. Uh, I believe and affirm everything we've already done this morning. We, we, we signed off on the Westminster Confession of Faith. We signed off on the Apostles' Creed. I'm down with all that. Um, everything we sang, I believe. Jesus is all I got. He's my only hope. The truth doesn't change. The truth is not a fact only, but he is a person. His name is Jesus. He's the way, truth, and life. I, that's all I got. Okay. What I'm talking about is the, not the message itself changing, but the methods changing. That's what Paul's getting to in this passage. Uh, the, the content, right? The content doesn't change, but the container does. Or one of my favorites that I made up, give myself a pat on the back, is the delivery, the deliverance doesn't change, but the, the delivery does. And so you can think about that. Uh, the way that I preach is different. It's unique to me and my personality, right? But it's whatever God wants to say, he does it through me. The way Les preaches, it's a little different. And I got some African-American brothers and sisters, my buddy Tim Johnson in Memphis, who planted Avenue Church. When that brother preaches, oh my goodness, I feel like I just got a workout. And it's awesome. And the way he does it is different. And it's beautiful. And so if we could just see and celebrate the gifts of the body, we'd be in a whole lot better place uh, than, than one-upping each other or trying to critique. And that's kind of what we're getting at this morning. So all of this suggests something. That what the seminary professors taught less in seminary, what they taught me, what they teach everybody, is that context matters. We have to do the hard work of understanding context. So if you're reading in the Old Testament passage, you need to understand the original hearers, the author, what they're trying to say. If you're reading a New Testament passage, if you're reading narrative, if you're reading poetry, like the context really matters. And it also matters in relationship to cultures. And so you might be thinking this morning, man, uh, that's all good and great, but uh, cross-cultural ministry really ain't my jam. Right? I love peanut butter, but that's not my jam. I can't do it. Uh, but I will tell you this. If you are married, you're in cross-cultural ministry. Because I, I don't know of a greater gap between culture as male and female. Okay? In the first service, I got an amen on that. <laughs> Somebody was feeling it this morning on the way to church. I know that. Us pastors know that, too. Some of our hardest days are Sundays. But I'm telling you, uh, that's a big cultural gap. Male and female? Are you kidding I look at this room, and I see a lot of males and females. So you in cross-cultural ministry, fam. Uh, you think about age. Age brings, kids have their own culture. <laughs> Grandparents have their own culture, and people in between, right? Uh, with age comes different cultural practices, different priorities. And uh, so, hey, you're in cross-cultural ministry. And then I see different ethnicities, different colors in the room. And we don't, we don't, we don't say I don't see color. I mean, I told the first service, like, if you, ha if you could only eat one thing the rest of your life, shameful, horrible. If you could only have one drink the rest of your life, if you could only have one friend, like, no. We get to have a thousand taste buds. I don't really know how many we have. But we get to experience God's wonderful diversity and unity. That's in the nature of God, three in one. We see color and we celebrate it. 
Right? We don't do, and that, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't help it. But I'm telling you, this is what Paul is doing here. He's, he's looking out and he's seeing the context matters. He's not belittling it. He's going he's gonna to magnify Jesus without belittling context. All right, here we go. So here are three points as we think about what Paul is saying, becoming all things to all people. Becoming all things to all people. Here are the three points. Paul's kingdom ethics. Second one is Paul's kingdom versatility. And then finally, Paul's kingdom aim or his kingdom motivation. So let's consider that first one, Paul's kingdom ethics. <clears throat> Got my notes out of order here. Here we go. Thanks. So Paul has already uh, given us a little context here. I mean, if, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, and this is really good news to them and good news to us, is they've blown it. And if I were writing a letter to a church as messed up as the Corinthians, I would be like, what are y'all doing? Y'all are killing me. I mean, the sexual immorality, the beefing going back and forth, the pettiness, the divisions. I mean, we could go on and on with their list of failures. And you know what Paul opens up with? He says, you're chosen. You're holy. You have every spiritual gift you need. And because God is faithful and true, he's going to keep you. He's going to make you without blame until Jesus appears. That's really good news. So if, if, anything, if you don't hear anything else today, you need to hear this. If you're struggling like the Corinthian church, you're in good company, and Jesus is for you. Paul goes on to tell them that your only boast is in Jesus. He's the foundation that's already been laid. He's your wisdom, so you ought to be of one mind and one purpose. Don't kid yourself. God alone is judge. All that you have is from God. Kingdom living is not about a bunch of words, but it's about a bunch of power that God gives you. Cultural practices are not ultimate. Your circumstances are not ultimate. Jesus is. And ultimately, he goes on to say before we get into our passages, knowledge will puff you up, but love will build you up, and it will build others up. And so in chapters 8 and 9, Paul is really concerned with one thing. He's concerned about freedom. Cue Mel Gibson. Freedom! Right? Braveheart. I have that scene in my mind. I can't get rid of it. Paul is saying, I'm free. I'm free from all. Nobody owns me. I'm not obligated to anyone. I am free. He's saying, I have the same liberties as anyone else made in the image of God. I am free from all. It's the first thing out of his mouth. And in the same breath, you know what he says? And I have made myself a slave to everyone. I have made myself a servant to all, he says in verse 19. And this is Paul's point. He is saying, I have subjected myself or placed myself underneath others. I have considered their needs more important than my own. This is the idea of Paul accommodating himself, cooperating, adapting, becoming moldable or pliable. He's becoming helpful or considerate and unselfish toward others. Hmm, where would Paul get an idea like that? Where, does Paul, where in the world does Paul get this stuff? Well, he got it from following Jesus. If you remember Philippians 2, this is, this is Jesus stuff. Who put on our skin and did not consider his own needs, but considered the needs of others as more important than himself. Jesus does something amazing, right? He actually, Paul, you remember Paul's conversion? Paul is on his way to chain and, or, or kill Christians. And Jesus meets him exactly where he is. Jesus knocks him off his horse. And here's the point. How is it that Paul could get so passionate about talking about becoming all things to all people? Why is Paul so passionate about meeting others where they are? It's because Paul never forgot that Jesus met him right where he was. On this hellbound road of destruction, Jesus meets him in mercy, meets him right where he is. And so Paul, all that's left for Paul to do is meet others where they are with mercy and compassion 
Paul is willing to lay down his rights and to limit his freedoms because that's exactly what Jesus did for him. The only reason Paul can say, I'm I'm working toward becoming all things to all people, I want to celebrate and see other people, I want to listen to other people, I want to walk a mile in their shoes, is because Jesus did that for him. He's convinced of it. Paul's major identity has already been settled in Jesus, so he can become a chameleon. He can take on lesser identities. He can walk with Jews. He can walk with Gentiles. He can play it all because he's loved by Jesus. So he has enough in his tank to love others where they are. That's Paul's kingdom ethic here. It's to love his neighbor in such a way as to remove any obstacle that keeps them from Jesus. No, no, notice something. Paul is not making a mountain out of a molehill. What I mean by that is he is making a mountain out of the gospel, a mountain out of Jesus. That mountain that Jesus walked up and nailed all of our brokenness to the cross. Everything that stood against you, Jesus nailed to the cross. That's the mountain. What he's talking about are the other things, the molehills, right? In doing so, he's talking about ethnicity, culture, customs, practices, observances, all these things. They must bow to King Jesus, or they will be mountains that crush you, or they crush others. And I want you to notice this before we get into point number two. Paul is not belittling culture. He's not belittling ethnicity. He's actually honoring it in a beautiful way. He's acknowledging it, and he's acting accordingly. He's honoring it so that others would be able to honor Jesus. He is honoring people where they are in order that they might honor Jesus, which brings us to point number two, Paul's kingdom versatility. Some of you who are baseball fans know Jose Aquindo. When I was growing up, he played for the Cardinals, uh, and, and I remember watching Ozzie Smith do his backflip, and I was sold. But Jose Aquindo played second base, but he also he was a utility man. And there's only been a few people in Major League Baseball history that have played every single position in one game. Jose Aquindo played every single position in one game. He was the pitcher, he was the catcher, second base, third base, shortstop, first base, left field, center field, and you guessed it, right field. He probably did some coaching too, I don't know. But here's the point. It didn't matter where you put Jose Aquindo, he was ready to roll. You could put him anywhere, and he was like, I'll help my team win. I don't care. Put, I'm not defined by being a second baseman. I'm a teammate. Let's roll. Put me anywhere. That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying in verse 20 through 22, he says, To the Jews, I operated and acted like I was a Jew. To the Gentiles, I operated as a Gentile. And to the weak, I operated out of my weakness. I met them in their weakness. This is, this is Paul going to the non-essentials. So when you join this church, you have to affirm like five things. You have to say like, yeah, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Saved by God's grace. That grace is found only in Jesus. I will support the worship and work of this church to the best of my ability. And then something like, hey, I'll submit to its leadership. Outside of that, those essentials, Paul's not talking about those things. Paul is a mountain. He is not getting moved off of the mountain. Paul is not scratching his head or bumping his head on theology. He's not thinking like, what, ha- what do I do with this gospel? Paul says stuff like this. Let them be accursed if they preach another gospel. It's pretty harsh, which is no gospel at all. Paul is not moving on the gospel. Paul is solid on the gospel. You're not go- getting off that mountain. That's the hill to die on. But he's talking about all these other things. He's talking about the other stuff, as we say. These other non-essentials. So my dad's an EPC pastor. They have this mantra in the EPC. It says, in the essentials, unity. So look. If you don't want to join this church because you, you're not there on those essentials, that's fine. We love you. We're for you. Keep coming. But you probably don't want to hitch up your wagon with us if you can't agree on those essentials. Now, everything else, you don't have to, you don't have to like Les's taste in movies to join this church. Are you kidding me? 
I mean, some, some of them are pretty good that he likes, but you don't have to agree with everything the elders or deacons think to join this church. Are you kidding me? No, he's talking about everything else to bring under submission to Jesus. So here's the deal. When Paul was hanging out with his Jewish homies, he was not banging on them, hating on them for being brought up in the Jewish tradition where they had this messianic expectation, where they grew up in the temple, and they loved the temple, and they loved the whole sacrificial thing, and they loved the ceremonial washings and the holy days, the observances of all these things like the Feast of Booths and all these wonderful practices. Paul is not saying none of that stuff matters. He's saying Jesus fulfilled that stuff. Isn't that stuff cool? Let me tell you what's cooler. Jesus fulfilled it all. So he's not hating on his ethnicity or Jewish folk for loving that stuff. But when he goes over to the Gentiles, he's not up in their Kool-Aid about the ribs they're cooking at the barbecue that smell really good. He's saying, eat that stuff. Jesus declared it clean. I'll eat some with you. He's saying, I know you don't know what the Feast of Booths is, so I'm not coming at you with that stuff. He's talking to them about their core concerns. He's talking to them about their core concerns. To the weak, he's like, I'm concerned with you. Let's go. He's becoming all things to all people through the Holy Spirit, giving him the power and the grace to do it because that's what Jesus does. Jesus is your all in all. He became all things for you, to you. He became your comforter, your helper, your brother, your savior. I mean, what is Jesus not to you? He's everything. So what are we to be to each other? Encouragers, uplifters, pointers to Jesus, listeners. We honor one another so that we might honor Jesus together. That's what Paul's getting at. Paul would do everything short of sinning to bring people in and to bring people along. And actually, there are times where Paul goes along with Jewish custom. There's times where he doesn't. And I think the difference is if you demanded it from Paul, he's like, ah, 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 no dice. We aren't adding to the gospel. But if, if it's in good meaning, like, hey, we need some circumcision over here, Paul's like, yeah, sure. But if it's like they're demanding it, like the Judaizers saying you have to become Jewish to become Christian, Paul says, nope, you don't. And what's the difference, Paul? What's the difference? The difference is in the context. The context changed. And so I can't give you a list of rules. I don't know. Paul doesn't give you a list of rules. He, do, he doesn't do that. He's telling you to honor the people in front of you. The context matters. Do the hard work of figuring out the context, which means you've got to do a lot of listening and showing up and bringing the gospel to bear in that circumstance, in that issue, in that culture. Now, this can look like a hundred different things, but let me just tell you, Paul is a cross-cultural chameleon. Because he wants others to know Jesus. Paul is honoring these people and their culture so that they can honor Jesus. He, he, what Paul is doing, y'all, is he's blowing up tribal Christianity. You remember Paul gets on to Peter for, for just being out of step with the gospel by only eating with the Jews? He's like, don't be acting like that. That's out of step with the gospel. You can't do that. You can't leave these people out. <clears throat> and so Paul, what Paul is doing is he's blowing up this tribal Christianity. So let me give you one application before we get to our third point. Man, we ought to have way more criticism. Les set it up here before. He says we're, we're our own worst problem. We ought to have way more criticisms and critiques for ourselves than we do other people. And let's just take that culturally and ethnically. We ought to have way more. Let me just talk to my white brothers and sisters for a second. We ought to have way more critiques for ourselves and our culture. And yes, we have a culture. All food is ethnic. It's not just one aisle at the grocery store. We, we have a culture, and we got to do some hard and necessary work to understand our culture, what's beautiful about it, what's broken about it. Like every culture is beautiful and broken because every culture is made up of beautiful and broken people. And we got to do some hard work at acknowledging where ours is broken and not be triumphalistic about ours being normal. It's not normal. There is no normal. 
There are more Christians that don't look like us in this world than Christians that do. We are not the majority. And in America, just in a few years, we're going to be the minority. And you know what? We ought to celebrate. We that's not cause for fear. We can celebrate the multi-ethnic beauty that is the body of Christ. And we can actually learn from other people. White folk, we've got to do it. I love you enough to tell you, we've got to do it. We ought to have way more critiques about ourselves and our own culture than we do for others. Yes, you can critique other cultures. I'm not telling you you can't, but you better be slow to do it, especially knowing your own context and your own history. Let me give you one example of that. I love this. I love how we can adapt and change to meet people where they are. One of my friends told a story about Psalm 23, the translation this, these Bible translators did to this indigenous people group. And, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Like, that, like my grandmother stitched that stuff, and you, like, like, like you, don't change, you don't mess with that. You don't change that. But what if people don't have sheep? What if people don't know what a shepherd is? How do you talk to them about it? You go with what they know. They know ducks. They know ducks. So it says, this is how they translated it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my ducks herdsman. I shall not want. They, they changed it. And you might be thinking, well, why did they mess with that? And my friend goes, you think the king of kings cares if you called him a shepherd or a ducks herdsman? Like, what? No, he wants his people. That's what he wants. He wants his people. He wants his house full. He wants people coming to the table. So pull up a chair for him. Which brings us to the third and final point, Paul's kingdom aim and motivation. There's five verses and five alls. Paul says, by, I become all things to all people. By all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel and to share in its benefits, its blessings. Paul's trying to say something. Paul had plenty of enemies, just like Jesus did. So he's not trying to win a popularity contest. That's not his motivation, just to be liked by everybody. <laughs> Paul got killed, y'all, just like Jesus. A lot of people didn't like him. What he's doing is he's moving toward people no matter what so that they might, they might be one to Jesus. So people might be saying, Paul, why are you doing all that stuff over there with those Gentiles? Why, why are you doing all that stuff? And then other people are like, why are, you doing, why are you doing this stuff over here with the Jews and doing that old stuff? Then you got people saying, well, what about this or what about that? Why are you doing this? And you know what Paul's only answer is to all the questions? All the questions that could be fired at Paul, you know what his only answer is? So that they might know Jesus. So that they might be one to the gospel. So that they might join the celebration feast with us. Friends, if you go 50 years of your life and you've never been called a liberal, it might be, I don't know, it might be because you're not following Jesus closely enough. Do we care about justice and the widow and the orphan and the immigrant and the sojourner? Do we, do we remember the poor, which the apostles told Paul and, and Barnabas to do, and they were eager to do it? So if you care about the poor, if you care about the immigrant, if you care about justice, then, you, then some people are going to look at you and be like, you're a liberal. I knew it. Sneaking into the PCA, you're a liberal. But then, do we also care about righteousness? Do we, do we care about obedience? Do we care about some conservative things too if you've never been labeled a conservative? For some people, if you've never been labeled a conservative, if you've never been labeled something you aren't, you might not be following Jesus close enough. Let me just tell you why. Jesus got labeled all kinds of stuff. He got called demon-possessed. He got called all kinds of things that he wasn't, right? Because he perfectly loved God and he perfectly loved his neighbor. When you live out, if you follow the example of Jesus, you will be called things you're not. And that's okay. Don't fear that. I, I consider it a badge of honor. I'm like, I must be doing something right. Somebody's mad at me. When it comes to this, when it comes to crossing cultures in order that people might know Jesus, y'all, 
All I'm trying to say is Paul is not concerned about winning an argument. He's concerned about winning people. That's his kingdom motivation. Is it ours? You know, I love to be right, and I love to have my opinions. But there's really only one hill to die on, y'all. And Jesus already did that for us. Isn't that really good news? Some of us have way too many non-gospel convictions that we got to lay down. Our political situation can't be big enough that keeps us from Jesus and our neighbor. Can't be. Can't be. We cannot be more American than we are Christian. We are Christians. And I love America. Don't get me wrong. But it's like my family. It's broken. And I can talk about my family. Right? And I can talk about my country that I love. We need, a, we need the kingdom of God, the Lord of the nations. Not just one. Ooh. Paul is living proof that God would go to any length to get his people. That he would cross every gap, every barrier. Paul is living proof that God would show up anywhere to save somebody. And so, man, you got to know that he's excited about it. So are we so attached to the world that we have nothing different to offer people? Or are we so detached from the world we got no one to offer it to? Paul would say, hey, along with Jesus, in the world, not of the world, let's go in. Let's be with. And let's point people to Jesus. So if you're not there this morning, as I wrap up, how, how do we apply, you know, all this stuff? I don't know. <laughs> like, embrace the tension of living by faith and not by sight. And I was talking to somebody after the first service. They were embracing a, a, a Muslim friend and didn't want to, they were talking about it. And I was like, you know what? If my fear of getting it wrong uh, kept me from stuff, like I would have never got married. I'd never have kids. I'm not a great husband. I'm not a great father. Like, I failed at all those things. I would, I would not be a friend. If your fear of getting it wrong is going to keep you from something, friends, the gospel's big enough, it handles your failure. Your fear and your failure don't get the last word on you. Jesus does. Paul knew this. Paul, for the rest of his life, was feeling awful about, he was there when Stephen was murdered. And he was like, go for it, y'all. He's, he's a terrorist. He's a murderer. But he knows that Jesus signed off on him. Friends, your failure doesn't get the last word on you. So move toward, like, don't be so scared that you're not going to move toward other people because you're going to get it wrong. You will get it wrong. <laughs> ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask your kids. You will get it wrong. But Jesus is with you. So I want to point us back to the, song, uh, the, the verse 21. It says, the, Paul says, I'm not under this law. And he's talking about the ceremonial law. And we don't have time to unpack it because i got 27 seconds. I'm looking at the clock, and I appreciate that clock. Some of us are getting hungry. Um, what I want you to know is, Paul's talking about the law. He's talking about these 613 precepts that all these in the Old Testament. Paul is saying, I'm not under all that. Jesus fulfilled all that. I can eat whatever I want. I don't have to wear that. I don't have to wash my hands like that. Right? He's saying, I'm not under that. I am under the law of Christ. Well, what's the law of Christ? Les can unpack it for you later, but I'll tell you. Look at Galatians 5. Look at Galatians 6. Look at 1 John 4, John 13, Romans 13, 8, and, and Romans 15, 7. Here, here's what I want to leave you with. Galatians 5 says circumcision, uncircumcision, none of that counts. All these ceremonial stuff doesn't count. You know what counts? Faith working itself out in love. That's in chapter 5 of Galatians. The only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Loving God and loving your neighbor, Jesus said. That's the most important thing, right? What? Most important command, love with God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, owe no one anything except love. Y'all, we're free from everybody. 
But can we make ourselves a servant of everybody, just like Jesus did for us? If we're not there yet, it's because you forget the way that God treats you. You forget the way that God has treated you and is treating you. The way that you treat other people, the way that I treat other people, tells the story about how we think God treats us. So if you believe you've been welcomed by God, this is Romans 15, 7, one of my favorite verses. Paul says, welcome one another. Receive one another as you have been welcomed and received by Jesus Christ for the glory of God. So when you think about the glory of God, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what Paul is saying according to this verse and this, this text today. Paul's saying when you think about the glory of God, you ought to be thinking about people made in his image being welcomed to the feast. Because I'll tell you, I think the place that Jesus gets the most glory, you want to know where God gets the most glory? I think it's on the cross where Jesus is being perfectly obedient, meaning he's loving his father perfectly and he's loving literally the hell out of us. He is loving the mess and the brokenness out of us. On the cross, Jesus, where he's lifted up and he's drawn all men into himself, that's the place where he gets the most glory. So Paul can say, welcome one another, just like Jesus welcomed you, and then he tags that great PCA line on there, for the glory of God. Friends, the glory of God is not about one hour on Sunday. It is, but it's about every hour of every day. So don't shrink God's glory down to a worship service because all of your life is a worship service. Friends, Jesus has signed off on you and nothing's going to separate you from his love. Nothing. Paul knew that. That's Paul's identity. That's what fueled Paul to go toward anybody and become all things to them. If you know that Jesus has signed off on you, literally in his blood, and he doesn't feel like he got the raw end of the deal, but he loves you, he rejoices over you with singing, it'll make you want to rejoice over other people. It'll make you want to honor other people because you know you're already, you, who you are, taken care of. So you can become anybody, any, anything to anybody. And you can actually have some fun in doing it. I, w- I would just tell you, don't let fear keep you from this. Perfect love casts out fear. That's what Jesus does. He is perfect love. Receive it and then give it. Let me ask for his blessing. Jesus, we are not appropriate. <laughs> we are not capable Uh, we are not sufficient for any of these things in and of ourselves, but because you are good and because we belong to you and because you've given us your promised spirit, we actually can participate in your life and your resurrected life. And so help us as we move out of this place today to, to more fully accept your love, to agree with you about your love so that we might be filled up that your love would be poured out in our hearts that we might overflow and be able to love our neighbor, especially those who are different from us, and even learn something in the process. Lord, I pray that you would be good and kind and patient with us as we do this work. We pray it for Jesus' sake and so that others might be one to the gospel. In Christ's name, amen.